0: to the Big Album show with Paul Dylan and Dan O'Neill.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Big Album Show with me, Paul and me, Dan. On uh, this edition, we are discussing the amazing, the legendary, the one and only revolver from 1966, the Classic Beatles record. And we're absolutely delighted to have a very, very special guest join us on this pod. Professor Luke O'Neill from Trinity College And you're very welcome back On the Big Album Show, Luke
2: Thanks very much, Paul I can't wait This is, just, this is one of my all-time favourite albums, obviously So I was beside myself When you suggested this one So superb well, It's well, great to have you back
0: t- t- Tell me, Luke Can you remember Take yourself back um, You know, 20 years um, or so And yeah. tell me Can you remember The first time you ever heard the Beatles?
2: Oh, God, I can, Dan. I was four years of age, right? It was 1968. That's how old I am. And Yellow Submarine had come out, actually. And I remember vividly hearing Yellow Submarine in 1968. Now, as we know, guys, it was on Revolver in 1966. <laughs> but the album Yellow Submarine with the movie came out. And I remember as a four-year-old dancing around my kitchen at home, singing Yellow Submarines. That's, that's my first memory. of. So I'm old enough to be alive when the Beatles were still together, lads. I'm like, you two, you see? So... That's my claim for fame, you know. I was only four now, mind you. But I still remember that Yellow Submarine very vividly, I must say.
0: And what is it about the Beatles that you love? Like, I know that's a really, really difficult question, given they are the greatest band ever. But yeah. um, what can you put your finger on it, on, on what it is to you that makes the Beatles stand out? It's, it's just
2: difficult. Then. I mean, I've, since the age of four, I've heard them. I suppose it starts with uh, me as a small child. And then my sister, who's eight years older than me, she loved the albums and she would listen to them, you know? And my dad loved them. So I was kind of set up for it from a very early age is the first thing I would say. But to me, I think um, there was an album called Oldies But Goldies, which is kind of a greatest hits compilation that came out in 1966, apparently. And we had that in the 70s in in my house uh, in Bray. And then we also had the Red and the Blue albums. You I remember that they were greatest hits as well. And I remember like as an eight-year-old playing them, can you imagine, on the turntable in those days. And to me, it was joy it's a single word there's such joy in the music i mean when you hear their vocals when you hear the the sheer pleasure of what they're doing themselves that's what resonates i think and i reckon that's what, why kids love the beat, by the way. they can sense this joy off the music and obviously there's some slower sad songs as well but overall if you hear she loves you or i want to hold your hand or a hard day's night the one word is pure joy in those songs really and i guess we're all we all like a bit of joy don't we so to me that, that was the beginning of the whole love affair in a sense this joyous musicality really was the reason i got into them in the first place
0: yeah and the funny thing about the beatles is they're so kind of they're, they're such a large cultural phenomenon that it's kind of almost impossible if you weren't around before the beatles yeah. which none of us were really to 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 imagine a world without their music it it's yeah. kind of like trying to imagine popular culture without mickey mouse or or, or
2: it is or, or, or the or pandemic
1: something. without luke o'neill i mean well only
2: hang on a minute Paul. hold on a second hopefully that's the case now <laughs> <laughs> but no you're right i mean they, they have been dominant now for me another great phrase that's been said lots of times was for once the most popular were the best you know you don't even get that very often uh, the most popular aren't the best or the best are not the most popular. And yet the Beatles managed to be really, really popular and yet the best. And there's no denying that, you know? And because that annoys people. Like, we remember in the, in the 70s, that the punks kicked against them because why wouldn't you? Like, obviously, you're, you're a young guy. To hell with those old guys. They're, they're, so, they're so yesterday, you know? But the fact is, the range of the Beatles is incredible, you know? The range of musicality and different styles and so on. They're impossible to beat, really, you know? And even now, I mean, when I play an album, as I've done for Tonight Played Revolver, it's compelling stuff. You can't get away from it. You know, it's, it's it's the diversity, it's the musicality, it's the harmonies, the rhythms. It's all. I think they manage. They manage to fuse kind of rock and roll and blues with music hall and folk into one new amalgam. In a way, you know, and therefore anybody who likes Western music in, in the broadest sense has to love them. You can't deny them in that in that way. You know?
0: Yeah, and I'm all, I'm always really because, suspicious about anyone who says that they don't like the Beatles. You know, uh, it, yeah, I find it hard to believe.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, I guess you want that as well, don't you, in a sense? I mean, if we all love the same thing, there's no innovation. It's true. Okay, to react against them as well. But ultimately, everybody comes back to them. And even the ones who say they hate them in their, say, teens, when they're in their 30s and listen properly, they can't deny it. They can't deny the majesty and the wonder of it, in a sense. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because pop music should be moving forward. What gets me at the moment is pop music is stuck in a way because there was massive innovation. Rap may have been the last big innovation, for example. Since then, it's been very hard to innovate. Because there's still guitars, drums, keyboard, vocals, harmonies, verses and choruses and so on. And if the Beatles kind of captured that and kind of dominated that, it's very hard to beat them in that sense. So, so for new bands today, it's really difficult. And, and, and many new bands are fans of the Beatles because they know they were the, the maestros, if you will. So it's a, tri- it's a in a tricky time in many ways. This is it. Everything has been done. There's nothing yeah, left, exactly, left yeah. to
1: invent. I know. You know yeah, that's the challenge the end really, of history. Yeah. It's fascinating what you said in terms of um the punk rock uh, response to the Beatles. I mean, one of the things and I've been saying to Dan, and Dan has been saying to me, is that every generation rediscovers the Beatles. And yeah. you know, it, it they are the ever present force in music yeah. Uh, yeah. Since they, uh since they since they reigned. But during the punk period, of course, there was this kickback. And remember the famous line in London Calling when uh, the amazing Joe Strummer said, phony Beatlemania has bitten yeah. the dust. Yeah. And we, I mean, we all heard it. I mean, I heard it again sometime after that album was released, but it was a, yeah, that stuff is old. We don't want yeah. that. They're old. And I mean, they were wouldn't have been even 40. Uh, they would have been younger than I am now. So very yeah. young in yeah. terms of how we view people maybe. But anyway, but... It is fascinating. Every generation finds them, and for me, the remarkable thing about this record—and you said it there, Luke—is the joy. Yeah, the songs are short; they're very easy.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, a song like Yellow Submarine is a really popular one with kids. and yeah. every—it's one of those songs. As soon as you hear it once, you won't forget it. And it's like a, if you—if you have if anyone is familiar with sort of the children's uh, cartoon songs, it wouldn't sit out of place. On any yep. of those kind of children's cartoons,
2: yeah. Well, well, the question is, and how could the same band produce a song like Yellow Submarine and Tomorrow Never Knows on the same album? I mean, it, it, it's just remarkable range, isn't it? You know, it's so Different, such a different emphasis, and yet they achieve that. So, so in many ways, for me, it's diversity as well in the music. It's massively diverse. Mm. Now, of the Rolling Stones, of course, we do, but uh, but that was that was one type of music. Really, the Stones tried to be a bit different here and there you know but they're nowhere near the same range as the Beatles but well, the Stones had of course though, was great soul though and great sort of uh, passion didn't they you know but but that that range of, of, of musical styles is absolutely remarkable with the Beatles music and no band has ever done that I mean Queen in my opinion kind of come close to it because again they've got a big range as well of different styles you know? but the Beatles were the first to have that huge diversity in their music and rubber soul or um, revolver really captures that really
0: you mentioned the stones there i asked my little daughter today beetles or stones and she turned around to me and she said daddy can we not have something normal for dinner today (laughs) yes (laughs) but uh no what you say about the diversity is really really interesting because if you think about the time frame during which the Beatles existed you have 1963 they release please please me It starts off, the first track on it is I Saw Her Standing There. It starts off with your classic one, two, three, four. And then the Beatles career as we, you know, in the limelight begins. I know they were in Hamburg and so on before that. This album, only three years later, is completely different. Also, by the way, starts with a kind of um, a a count in. I think it's George Harrison counting quite slowly. Uh, yeah. And, and off time actually, it, it doesn't yeah. go with the with the first track. But um, how on earth did they manage to take that journey between 1963 and
2: 1966? It's yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. No, it is remarkable. Then some um, some some music critic said if you'd gone into jail in 1964, right, and didn't hear music at all in in the two years, came out in 66, and have you heard Bob Dylan actually as well? Mm beatles you know what has happened in that two years it's like aliens have landed on earth you know and they're the ones playing the music the, the, like again tomorrow never knows is a good example imagine playing that in 1966 having the last thing you heard was in 64 you go how could that have happened how, how could there be such a change in music in that time you know and and it's a really good question on how do they achieve that i think what happened was uh, and there's various opinions on this first of all there was four of them remember and george martin there was, a, there was a whole gang of them and they could feed off each other and exchange ideas. And they realized, I think, in 65, they they'd kind of climbed the mountain in many ways and achieved so much, and they were desperate to do something different themselves because they got a bit bored or they wanted to do something. To me, it's like being a scientist, to be honest. Innovation is everything to us. We've got to keep making new discoveries, otherwise I'm not happy. And musically, they must have like, let's try something different. And of course, the Revolver is all about, that it's different sounds, different sound effects in the studio. And they must have had a terrible unease about them in a way. And dissatisfaction, I think. They couldn't keep recording of Me Do, could they? (laughs) That would bore them to tears. So they must have had a huge desire to move music on themselves. And and if you listen to the interviews from John Lennon and and Harrison at the time, they were saying we must do something new. And I reckon it was a short attention span. (laughs) (laughs) That was part of it. And to satisfy themselves, they had to be innovative. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to do it, you know, in a sense. or wouldn't have had the uh, motivation to do it. So to me, I think it's all about trying something new because you've done it already, you see. And and survive then and be interesting. They must have suffered from boredom. That I mean, can you imagine like cover bands playing the same stuff night after night? The Beatles got sick playing their own stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's try something brand new, and then they were d- driven to this innovation. I guess is what I is think. Of it.
0: And you you said an interesting thing there about it being like science, and in terms of needing to innovate all the time. I think another element to the Beatles story, and it's actually you can you can say the same about people like Sinatra and so on as well. That these acts. Yeah. A- a- appeared on the cusp of vast innovation in technology. So That's the reason right. why the crooners, for instance, if we go back to Sinatra and so on, were able to sing the way they did was because there was the invention of the microphone And they no longer had to project their voice all the way down the back of a a concert hall. Likewise, the Beatles in the likes of Rubber Soul and uh, Revolver, they had access to this new technology that was never used before. For instance, on this album, you had um, the creation of um, artificial double tracking. It was the first time it was ever used. The the Beatles uh, sound engineers were the first sound engineers, I believe, to create effects like chorus which is now used all over yeah. um, uh, sound engineering. So it also went hand in hand with uh, m- m- innovation in technology, yeah. innovation in media, innovation in people's access to media, even the, the television and so on, and um, became more widespread. So the, 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 that surely played a role in it as well, I suppose.
2: It did. And remember, you're dead right there. I mean, remember, n- nowadays it's hard to innovate. But back then everything was moving very fast, the arts scene was changing huge. It was the 60s, for God's sake, you know. And the Beatles living in London were part of this, you know, and they're absorbing all these influences to do with the arts at every level: painting, drama, everything was in a frenzy at that time. And the Beatles could absorb that then and then do their thing, which was music. So, so it was a very fertile period for, for trying out new things, I guess. And you're right, Dan, they were after new sounds because they realized we can't just have a lead guitar rhythm bass drums that, that, that's a bit boring you know and they told the engineers give us new sounds give us new ways of, 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 of um, you know recording or give us new ways of processing the recording and remember famously on on a revolver it's the backward tape thing you know they even I think I read somewhere like Harrison, that I was a, play that backwards let's hear it backwards Can you imagine saying that to the producer you know and they build it in then as lots of backward tapes and some of that and again that was this desire to create something new that mightn't have been better necessarily, but certainly would have, would have been exciting, you know, and hopefully would, would turn out to be something very innovative and, 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 and um, possibly better than what went before. And because we can discuss that, I mean, the strange thing is, Love Me Do is still a great song, I remember. And just because uh, Tomorrow Never Knows comes out doesn't take away from that song. So the new stuff didn't mean it was better. It just meant it was different and still sounded great, you know, and still was very stimulating to, 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 the, to the listening audience.
1: I think you've, you've brought us on nicely to... Choosing our favorite tracks. Um, so I'm gonna go first. Um, I would probably say, and this is quite difficult to do on an album like Revolver to take three tracks, but I would go with Eleanor Rigby number one for me, Yellow Submarine number two, and got to get you into my life number three. And yeah, I'm, I'll talk about those in reverse order. I mean, yeah, gotta get you into my life. I think the reason why I've chosen it and the reason why I, I think it's so fascinating as a track. Is that I genuinely believe it could be released tomorrow and still sound contemporary and fresh, and that is just a remarkable tribute to them. And yeah. is there any other band that could do that? Is there any other group that could do that? In the so, I mean, in, in, in that sense, you know, and just musically, it's just so innovative and so interesting. And again, it's still it's just great joy in it. And I think I heard someone recently say about Paul McCartney that. He's an incredibly joyous person. You know, he believes in dreams. He's hippie-ish almost. And, you know, I think you can really hear, you can hear that in that song. Um, Number two for me is Yellow Submarine. For the reasons that you've already said, Luke, I mean, the, you know, how children pick up on that song, how we all knew that song as a child, how you knew that as a four-year-old. I would have been aware, I can't ever remember a time when I wasn't aware of that song. And, you know, isn't that just an incredible... Achievement to be able to do that, and in, in a sense of, I mean, it, it, it is genius that word that's often associated with the Beatles, and of course the vocal. We can't remember, we can't forget forget the vocal Ringo Starr, all right? Ringo,
2: yeah, that's <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> and from from for, for, for me, number one is Eleanor Rigby, and I mean, again, it it could be any track off the album, but the reason I've chosen that is because I find a very good example of it's an obvious point to make, but just how influential the Beatles. Because you can turn on the radio at any time of day, and if you turn to any more classic radio stations, your classic FMs, your Novas, all those type of radio station, and you're going to hear songs from the 70s, 80s, 90s, right up until now. That you can can that sound like this record and sound like a track like Eleanor Rigby. Almost every band during the Britpop period had a song like Eleanor Rigby, and um, it's just a beautiful tune, lovely lyrics, and for me, um, it gets my number one. Do you want to go next, Dan?
0: Okay, yeah, they're really interesting songs to pick, and um, yeah, I, I, as you mentioned, you know, you could pick any song off this album, really. So, in in that vein, I'm going to pick three different songs, just because I can. Um, so, one of them that I love is "And Your Bird Can Sing." Um, I think it's like Lennon hated the song, and I don't understand why because it's 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 upbeat. It's fun and um, it's actually so fun that if you listen to the anthology version of the song um, which I recommend people do, you can't help but laugh because McCartney and Lennon literally laugh all the way through. the yeah, they're hysterics, <laughs> <somebody's laughs> don't like yeah, they? Whatever was going around in the studio that day was yeah. <laughs> strong stuff because they really can't contain themselves. Um, I'm sure it was just joy. Um, But it's an amazing song, and the the guitar on it, it's Harrison and McCartney playing the lead guitar on it, and they play in harmony with each other, it's like a kind of a proto-Thin Lizzy vibe, um, and and the melody is fantastic, and there's loads of different theories about what the song's about, so... uh, some people say it's about Mick Jagger and Marion Faithful, other people say it's about Sinatra, and my favourite take on it was from Cynthia Lennon, John Lennon's first wife, who said that she gave him a present of um, a clockwork uh, bird inside a gilded cage, and it was wrapped up and as she was giving it to him, she wound it up so it played music as he opened the package and, um, you know, you can look at that as a bird in a gilded cage, and so on, as as being a metaphor for his first marriage, and the lines "You don't get me," and so on. So that 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 resonates with me. I think there there could be something in that, but we we, we don't know. Lennon always kind of mixed things up and put yeah. out different versions of songs. And another one I like is uh, I'm actually I actually picking all Lennon songs, which is unusual because I love McCartney equally as much, but. uh, She Said, She Said is a great song. McCartney didn't actually play on this track because he had a little falling out uh, with them. And so you have Harrison on bass in this song. And I think it's a great example of a song where Ringo, Ringo's drumming really comes to the fore. I think Ringo was going through a, a, a great period during the recording of this album, because of course, you know, Rain, which isn't on the album was a B-side to um a paperback rider um also has fantastic um um drums on, on that track. and um, so he was really going through a good period. And then the other one I'm going to pick is um Tomorrow Never Knows. I think it's revolutionary. I think it sounds like uh, a 90s song from the... It, like, the Chemical Brothers emulated that sound in the 1990s when they did those few tracks uh, with uh, Noel Gallagher. Um, and if you listen to, you know, Tomorrow Never Knows, beside Let Forever Be by the Chemical Brothers, they sound almost identical. Um, there's, there's, I won't say plagiarism a afoot, but uh, they're very, very similar. And it just shows you how revolutionary it was, you know, to have... Sampling in pop music, I, I I'm sure kind of avant garde musicians had done it before the Beatles, but the Beatles were definitely the the first pop popular band who brought that kind of sampling into into their their music, and um, so it's a really 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 interesting song. What about you, Luke? What would you pick?
2: Ah, uh, you see, lads, it's very difficult now, isn't it? <laughs> Every song is fantastic in my opinion on this album. There's not a single filler, you know. And remember, if we want to talk about Rubber Soul, that was the first album no no fillers, and that revolutionized albums. They made sure every single track had to be brilliant, you know? And Revolver is the natural successor to that. So every song is superb, you know? Um, if I'm forced to, uh, just to make it slightly different to you two, I guess, I'd have number three with be Dr. Robert for me, because I'm medical, first of all, you see? That's the first reason. And just the rhythm on the guitar is incredible, you know? And it's about a, a, a doctor friend of Lennon's in New York who would prescribe anything. You know, there was a famous doctor in New York who would, whatever, you, you need speed, yeah, you write a script for you, this, you know, and like, well, well, you're feeling fine. The way the chorus chimes out is superb. And so, again, so weird. And the harmony on that is a brilliant one. So that, that'd be my number three. Number two has to be here, there, and everywhere. I'm, I'm devastated you guys didn't pick that. That is one of McCartney's best songs by far. And Lennon himself said it was his favourite Paul McCartney song. And it's a beautiful, wonderful love song, isn't it? The melody, the way it ascends, you know, the, the backing vocals, you know, and then the middle bit. I want her everywhere, and if she's beside me, I know. I, I mean, it's just it's just universal. It's a great song of love. Let's face it, you know. And that's why that that's my my number two because it just captures what it is to be in love. And and the musicality again, those chord changes, it's, it's remarkable as a song and the harmonies, and they're all at their best. Even though Ringo wouldn't be that prominent obviously because it's much of a drum beat but they're at their best all the three of them harmonizing and singing that is superb but number one has to be the same as you Dan. tomorrow never knows and, and, and in my opinion that is one of the Beatles most important songs because first of all it's wild as hell like you know and the story of it is great so Lennon turns up in the studio it was the first song they recorded by the way for the album apparently. And Lennon turns up and he says to George Martin and uh Paul I've got a new song and he sits down and he gets his guitar and it's just a C chord. It doesn't change. Turn off your mind, relax. The whole song is in C. Like, and he finishes and they go, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> there's no, there's no chord changes, and it's a monotone. And then I then confident. I want to, play, I want this. He says, "I really want to record this song." Now to me, that shows the confidence of John Lennon. It's not a pop song. It's not a rock song. It's so out there. Nothing like it before had ever been attempted. And of course, it was Lennon's. Um, absorption of Indian music You see, as you know, I mean he he Harrison was the big influence on him there and he, he made an Indian song in his mind he said he, all these monks chanting on a hillside is the sound he wants to create so talk about like just completely out there and totally wild and then of course he asks uh, George Martin to, to create that sound and Martin struggles to create a thousand monks chanting and then you get the funny feedback loops I think what happened there was I think it was McCartney went home one night and plays something backwards, and that becomes this strange chirping noise, because, remember, McCartney was as avant-garde as Lennon, people forget that. McCartney was hanging out with all the great artists and all the rest of it, he, so he introduced that, that backward tape loop, and then, most importantly, as you both know, the, the, the lyric is the Tibetan book of the dead. I mean, for crying out loud, how can a pop band <laughs> use the Tibetan book of the dead as their source of lyrics? There's no mention of love, there's no mention of all the usual things that pop songs are about, and I love it as well, Then, like, he orders you, turn off your mind, relax and float. Talk about a a directive from on high, you know, it is not dying, you know. And the last verse, you know, I'll play the game existence to the end of the beginning. I mean, here we have deep Eastern philosophy as well tied up in a song. So for me, I've always taken that song with me all my life, actually, as a kind of a philosophical version of the absurdity of existence, the whole meaninglessness of life. It's a strange thing, you know. And and I just think it's just superb. And Lenin's voice, of course, Talk about stepping up to the microphone and singing this lyric in such a clear sort of a, a way that's so compelling. So no, to me, tomorrow never knows. has to be the, the standard. And of course, they, they were stuck. It was the first song they record, right? And then where do you put it on the album? You can't put it on the middle or in, at the start. It had to be the last track, didn't it? And, men, and many people think the 60s began with that song, actually, because that, that was like a, a clarion call to the whole world. Things have changed. We're not singing Love Me Do anymore. We're not singing, uh, you know, Elvis, you know, uh, whatever it might be. This is a whole new beginning for, for the arts. And in fact, to me as well, it, it, it is the uh, the trumpet that sounds, the, the the shift in the artistic movement in the 60s as well is announced by that song too. So for all those reasons, as you've gathered, uh, it has to be my number one, Alfie Allen. Wow.
0: It's, a, it's, a, it's such a great insight into the song and... Yeah, I lo- I, when, when you think about it, Lennon, as you say, kind of giving you these directives, these spiritual yeah. directives. Or, or it, it, it's, it, it's all the more interesting when you, when you put, put it into the context of the time. The previous yeah. month before this was released, Lennon was in big dog's doo-doo in the United States for
2: the whole bigger than Jesus, bigger than Jesus yeah, yeah. thing, yeah. you know? Um, but again, I- <laughs> that shows the confidence of the man. I mean, he, he defies that hatred. And, and records a song that's effectively about Eastern religion, really, you know. And it's incredible confidence in the man. You know, What gets me is his, his leadership. And Lenin emerges as a leader of the 60s partly through that song. And that great line, you know, lay down all thoughts, surrender to the void. That mm. existential philosophy in a single line. You know, he's, he's very good at capturing the zeitgeist if you will you see so you're right it was a you're quite right Dan. i forgot that fact that the uh, the controversy about bigger than jesus had happened just before that so again you got to hand it to him for that and Lennon's cool because he doesn't care does he you know he's a true artist he's just a hell with this i'm gonna do that i want to do this as an artist i don't care if people can't listen to it or it's not it's not a pop song it's not a rock song i'm doing it because as an artist i have to do it. he's compelled as an artist to express himself. I'm lucky enough to be in the biggest band in the world, of course, you know. <laughs> time, you know? So, so to me, it captures Len- the essence of Lennon is actually in that. And then never forget McCartney. McCartney was adding in all those sound effects. And Ringo's drumming, as you would agree. R- can you imagine? Now, Ringo Starr, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a you know, four beasts to the bar drummer from Hamburg and Liverpool. And he steps up and plays this fantastic backing track, unlike anything in drumming ever. That strange rhythm. In that song, so you got to hand it to Ringo as well, and then George's influence through the Indians. So in many ways. Tomorrow never knows is the four of them together again, at their best in a way, and that's why I think it's such an important song.
0: And uh, have have any of us picked out George's songs from the album just out of
2: curiosity? No, I sadly don't, we haven't done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. Taxman's a great song, isn't it? I would pick. They're all very. I mean, I would say there's point one percent difference between these songs. By the way, they're all brilliant, and Taxman is a fantastic song. It is, mm. yeah. Very innovative. It's very Indian, you know, and, and it's a strange baseline that was unheard of before, you know. So again, you have to have taxman up
1: there. It, it's a great way to start a record, isn't it? Taxman, it, it sets yeah. a great tone. It sets a great pace. Yeah, um, and a great way of bringing it into that world. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly.
0: And, and, right. and the funny, it, like you know, McCart- people often say this when they're talking about Helter Skelter, but McCartney is often seen as the kind of you know soft Beetle, the the one who writes the little ditty on the piano. But the, the guitar solo in Taxman is, oh, yeah. is McCartney. Yeah. And it's yeah. just pure, like, rock and roll. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's it's, yeah. a, it's, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant guitar solo. Like, not overly yeah. complicated or anything, but the, the fields are real, you know? Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. And it's got the Indian... I mean, remember, Dan, the Indian music was seen as really weird that time. Like, there was no world music. They're building in Indian rhythms. And a very kind of... Again, a kind of a very... Uh, out their way, which I'm sure George Martin said, don't do this because the, the audience won't like it because it's just Indian rhythms and Indian, like the guitarist Solomon Taxman is quite Indian in a way, you know, and yet they said, no, no, and Harrison said, we have to do this, we have to build this in. Inter-
0: yeah, big time. I was lucky enough one, once upon a time to, to meet uh, George Martin Oh, um, and well, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was incredible. So I I will tell you the story fast because I don't want to bore the listeners to death. But I I um when I was back in university, he visited uh, UCD is where I went, and um, someone said to me, um, "Oh, do you see?" Well, I asked, I said to someone, "I see George Martin is in, in the college tonight," and he goes, "He's in that room. Do you want to come in and meet him?" And I said, "No way, right?" So I I was brought into this room. Thus thinking that George Martin would shake my hand and say, off you go. He turned to me and he said, sit down beside me. And I died. In, like, I I, yeah. I I didn't have a word to say. I, I, like, what you're do you say John. to George Martin, you know? I, I Like, oh, I like your stuff. Uh, you're a very good producer. You know, I couldn't think of a word to say. Yeah. Um, but he was absolutely kind and, and, and wonderful and so friendly. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I wasn't disappointed um, whatsoever in, in, in meeting him. Um, yeah. So there's my, my my George Martin story.
2: But, Very good.
0: Um, we let we have the um the, the quick fire round of questions I want to ask you, and um, yeah, tonight they're all Beatles themed. So um, we we will see how we get on. We've we've kind yeah. of we're we're sticking to the the, the program tonight a yeah. bit more than the last time. So first question: Red album or Blue album?
2: Uh, Blue. It has to be, you see, because of all the jets, you know. Even though both are great. No, it would be the and I thought as well, Dan, George Martin and John Lennon. And here's a fact for you. It was Lennon and Martin that picked the tracks for the red and the blue. I McCartney was pissed off or he was away or something. So the two of them picked those tracks. And it's a great selection, isn't it, from from, from all these albums that we're talking about in the way. So it has to be blue. Yeah. Um
0: then favorite Beatles song that doesn't get the attention it deserves.
2: Oh, crikey. Now there's a hard one, yeah. Favourite Beatles song that doesn't um, let me think for a second. Strangely, I would I would say Savoy Truffle on the White Album. There's one for you now. You know? <laughs> because it's mostly you. Again, it's, it's Harrison, and we don't know if I mention him. Very strange lyrics about a box of chocolates. And the brass section is superb, and it really swings along. So there's one worth listening to Savoy Truffle.
0: Quality, quality. And um, Your, your favourite album from a Beatle, that wasn't with the Beatles. So, solo or with Wings. Ah, that's-, that's easy. That has to be Band
2: on the Run. Oh, but, uh, yeah. that, that's a country mile ahead of all the others. Sadly, uh, even though I'm a Lennon fan, uh, that album is as good as any Beatles album, Band on the Run. Again, the range is amazing on that. It's McCartney on his own. So, no, Band on the Run, I think by popular consensus, will be the best solo album of them all, really. You know?
0: who, who was really the fifth Beatle?
2: Oh, well, apart from George Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. George, probably because uh, George without George Martin they couldn't have done what they did I mean never forget that and even though Lennon dissed them you may know Dan Lennon's big controversial interview at Rolling Stone magazine 1970 he slags off Martin and, and that was really bad and and eventually Martin was a very as you know a gent you met him Dan he was annoyed by this and he met Lennon in 1976 or something and Lennon was very apologetic. was on drugs and I didn't mean it but George you were so important to us because George could take their ideas and turn them into the like I don't know Rigby's a great example Martin wrote the strings for Eleanor rigby you know without martin that couldn't have happened so it has to be george martin
0: okay what's what's a horse's favorite Beatles song a horse's it <laughs> <laughs> it's hey dude oh now we're talking oh, you like it okay. have you
2: been smoking the wacky
0: no no comment no no hey Jude. very good <laughs> okay and and then um what's your least favorite Beatles
2: song Oh, now, that's another good question to ask. I think it has to be Blue Jay Way off. Magic on History Tour, drones on forever. And it's very boring, sadly, for Pearl George, you know. Uh, So Blue Jay Way is one I never liked.
0: I might change your mind, right? There's a a version of that someone has remixed and it's uh, the rapper DMX. Rap oh, it yeah. over a blue jay who oh, I right? have, oh, that can make it better then. Yeah <laughs> check yeah. it out. It, it certainly lifts <laughs> lifts it up a notch, you know, and you can you can, <laughs> like you know can that, please don't be long like, oh,
2: it's awful stuff. Maybe that maybe that's a better version, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> check it out. I, one of the
1: things that we wanted to discuss with you now that we that you've you've been good enough to join us again on the on the pod, Luke, is the um Whole question of the relationship between the immune system and
2: music. Oh, thank you for asking that, Paul. It's not like a setup. I I didn't, for the (laughs) listeners, I didn't send them that question as a setup. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Very important.
1: It's a very important one. And, and, you know, from a strictly scientific point of view, though, am I right in saying that a lot of science originates from alchemy, which was magic?
2: Yes. The origin of of chemistry is alchemy for that. Yeah. And the alchemists began to use scientific methods eventually, actually. Yeah. Began measuring and using some of the science things that we know now. So there's no that alchemy was the start of, of of the scientific revolution in some ways. Like even Isaac Newton was an alchemist. Yeah. I remember. a long time trying to get the philosopher's stone to turn lead into gold. And he eventually realizes, oh no. So alchemy, I, I would view alchemy as, as a very important stepping stone on the way to so, what's real science, because they were doing their best at the time. They thought yeah. it was possible. And remember, the transmutation of things happens in nuclear physics anyway. So they weren't that far off. They didn't have the technology to do it. So, so no, I'd, I'd never knock the alchemists in a sense, because they were, they were doing their best at the time.
1: And, and when it comes to the immune system and music, what is the science behind the relationship? If I listen to loads of good music, <laughs> yeah. does that mean I won't get sick? Absolutely. <laughs> is it so it's like drinking loads of orange juice? <laughs> it's,
2: it's, it's a perfect medicine. Away, it's a perfect medicine. And you know why it is, Paul? Because we know scientifically, if you relax and if you're in a flow state, that's very beneficial for your health, but also for your immune system, no question. And the studies that, that have shown this, by the way. And the reason is because stress hormones like cortisol, they're immunosuppressants. And music takes us out of ourselves, doesn't it? Like, like like many things, it could be exercise, it could be reading. Music is such a relaxant, isn't it? And, and our minds go somewhere else. And we de-stress, and that's very good for your immune system. Because stress is a major negative for the immune response, it must be said. So so that, that's why music is so good for us, and, and why our immune system of all things benefits hugely from, from music.
1: So the flow state. Yeah. And music. That's right. How does that work?
2: Well, what is the flow state? The flow means you've lost yourself in something, right? And it could be anything, but we, when you listen to a great piece of music and, and, and you're, you're in this sort of different, almost semi sort of aware state and, and, and the brain wave patterns change, music induces that in many of us, you know? And that's a massive de-stress or cortisol levels fall, you know? So suddenly you're losing a negative influence in your body on the immune system by achieving flow. And if music induces flow, all the right things begin to happen there. The immune system then can not get so stressed out, I suppose, is the way to think of it. So there's no doubt that music is a wonderfully beneficial thing to the immune system. And we know this because like in your bloodstream, that's where the immune system is, as you probably know, that all the white blood cells, cortisol is repressing it the whole time in the in the circulation. So if you lower cortisol, you're taking the break off the immune system, and music will lower cortisol because it's a big de-stressor. Is the way to think of it. I, I, there's no evidence that music is especially good at this, and anything that allows you to escape your uh, your worries and your cares and your your concerns is going to be good for the immune system. And music, music is yet another example of that. Right? I, I, and you've written extensively about this, Luke. I have indeed. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I, I wrote about it. Uh, I have a chapter. If I can pluck my own book down, you don't mind. <laughs> Dan's going to go out to me. Um So, yeah, in my book, uh, Humanology, I write about the benefits of music. And there's all kinds of benefits, basically. And, and one example is, Paul, choirs are great. If you're in a choir, it's very communal. We love our social species. So if we all sing together, you get a social bonding thing going on. You achieve flow because you love the music and you're concentrating on it. And there's loads of evidence that being in a choir makes you better, basically. It, 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 can, it, can, it can stave off dementia it can decrease stress. It can, it can benefit your whole immune system through that. So, so I do write about that a lot because I'm being a muso. I love, I love, I love that chapter because I, I explain the scientifically proven beneficial effects of music are, are there to be seen. It's fascinating. And,
1: and I mean, I suppose when we when we discuss, you know, I mean, your voice, that's. Absolutely. Now, for many of us associated with the pandemic, I mean, you're associated with many other things as well. But we've come to know you even better the last couple of years. And I fear, not that I fear hearing you again in the media, but I fear this is there will be a there will be more of this uh, pandemic. It's not quite over.
2: No, it's not. But I think I think we won't see a lockdown or kind of the disastrous things that happened really with this virus anyway you know i mean if a new virus comes along it might be different but uh, but the good the good news is we have great immunity now to this virus yeah it's vaccines and natural immunity combined so so even if a variant comes along or a slight difference happens we'll still have good protection really so so i'm not worried about us, us going backwards as to that way we might see um you know, some restrictions in the autumn, possibly just to slow it down a bit of a SARS to surge, you know, but we're not going to have the same thing that we had in 2020, where the whole of the world had to stop with this virus anyway, you know, and even more optimistically, well, I would say uh, there's several vaccines in development that will work against any coronavirus. So in other words, if another one jumps from a bat again, and we might call it SARS-CoV-3, it's a new, you know, coronavirus, these new vaccines should protect against those as well. So so there's nothing to be too frightened of in that regard. Have you okay. have, have you have you hair. managed
0: to get, have you managed to get to any gigs since uh, things began to open up again? Well,
2: let me tell you, Dan. Uh, the Metabolics played. We, we played the Trinity Ball. We did a gig ourselves last Friday. Oh, brilliant! We did a thirty minutes set at the Trinity Ball. Now, of course, that was because I'm on the staff. They didn't pay me. You know, so <laughs> 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 I got a cheap deal there. But uh, but now we played for thirty minutes, uh, and we played one Beatles song. Amazingly, you know, we do Ooh. we do. Come together and we also do Money, that song off the uh, Beatles, uh, was it with the Beatles. And we used to do back in the USSR, we would stop singing that one like for obvious reasons. So that was, <laughs> yeah. But no, no, we did a gig. And last gig I went to, I went to see Billy Bragg, you know, amazingly, about maybe four or five months ago. Remember there was a, an opening at the time, and, and, and you could go to gigs again. You remember that? And, and me and I made a moment. I'm a big fan of Billy Bragg, so, so I got to see Billy. I haven't been to an actual gig since then, though. I'm looking forward to going back to more gigs again. I can't wait. I gotta go. I, I,
1: was, I, I was there, and in fact, I saw you in the bar. Like, I think you did but
2: actually. So to be honest, that could have been after the last
1: chat we had, there? yeah. Had, we, we, we were there, and you okay, it know, so it's horrible. funny. been to a few shows myself um recently myself and dan went to see damon alburn the national concert hall oh yeah very good Um, yeah and i was also at christy moore a couple of weeks ago in vicar street and yeah uh yeah he was he he was in in remarkable form but i i think that uh i think many of us have come to (laughs) have come to see music in a different light in the last couple of years as well haven't we because we can see the role that it plays and Encouraging Iron. you to get through hard times, and and, and also a memory, the the memories that you connect with yeah. music, and, and what you can 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 you know what you associate with music. I think exactly it's incredibly evocative yeah. and personal as well, can't it?
2: Huge, and and nothing beats Paul, as you would agree. Being in a, a room with loads of people listening to a band, but something magical happens there yeah. that you don't quite get at home with your Spotify. Yeah, no, definitely, of course. But but if you go to a gig, there's something funny goes on communally. I think I think maybe if I was. Living in the Stone Age, I may have been a musician because I couldn't have had any like uh, pipettes or microscopes. But I, I would have been compelled to sing songs around the campfire, maybe you know, because it, it does seem to be innately part of what we are as a species: this love of making music and listening to it. You see, so I guess me down is I'm, I'm sure the the agree. Um, like when I do play, I'm not a professional, but but people love hearing live music. I mean, if there's something special happens uh, with a live audience. They love you first because you're you're kind of uh, giving something to them. They're giving something back. It's a wonderful relationship between a musician and the audience, in a sense. Something very special happens. And you're right, through the pandemic, we lost that for two years. It was a, a terrible denial of a basic, never in human history, probably, did we not have live music for fellow human beings. E- even back in the Stone Age, around the campfire, we had it, you know. And yet the pandemic stopped that experience. So you're right, now that it's come back here, we have to grab it with both hands and and, and help our musicians, because they are out of work for a long time, you know. And now they're back working again and we, we should support them in every, every way that we possibly can. Did you
0: Definitely. manage to negotiate a rider um, for your gig in Trinity? You know? Did you have any, well,
2: any, any requests? Well, Dan, as you know, uh, you get a free ticket. It's a bit like an electric picnic. You know, the lower, lower down path, you don't get paid, <laughs> but you get a free ticket. So we got a free pass into the whole ball. That, that's all we got. And then because I'm on the staff, there's kind of a common room the staff can use. So I've got to use it anyway, I suppose. But we were in there having a few drinks afterwards. So It wasn't too bad. But no, that's really, it must be said. Didn't get any special treatment.
0: <laughs> well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking about this brilliant album with you um, and your uh, your love for music and uh, the Beatles is absolutely, um, absolutely brilliant. And uh, thank you again well, for, for all joining thanks.
2: us. Thanks very much, guys. That was an absolute joy. And anytime you need me, I'll be always there for you. That's our second one. And the last one was brilliant fun as well. So I was happy when you you reached out again. I was very happy to do it. So thanks very much for asking. Cheers, Luke. You're listening to The Big Album Show
1: with Paul and Dan. Please remember to subscribe, hit like, and remember to follow us on our social media platforms at The Big Album Show. (laughs)